I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter number 3. As I always encourage you, we're going to look at other passages than just this focus verse here. So you can follow along after we're seated. But in 2 Kings chapter 3, we're joining a story of a war between Israel and Moab. We're going to jump right in the midst of this story in verse 21. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 21. And when all the Moabites, which were the enemy, you're in a story with a kid, you want to know that's the bad guy. When Moabites heard that the kings, notice that's plural because there is an alliance of Israel, Judah, and Edom. When they had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. Then they, the Moabite, the enemy, rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. It's a miracle making it appear red to the vision of the Moabites, like blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil. We will extract from this story and I'd like to preach to you on this subject, the blood saved me. The blood saved me. I already sense a witness in your spirit. And if you've never been born again, the blood can save you today in your living room or in this room. Let's rejoice already about what God has done, what he's gonna do, lifting up our voice and our hearts and our spirit to him right now. Lord, we love you. We bless your name, Jesus. Praise God. Well, somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. Are you glad to be with Jesus today? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Oh, let's clap our hands, use our hearts, our voice. Let's exalt him. For he is great and greatly to be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated in that name. The blood saved me. Now, if you will, for a moment, I want you to understand what's happening here. Joram is the king of Israel who happens to be a contemporary with King Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. Joram, the king of Israel, reigned in the capital, Samaria, for 12 years. You say, where'd you get all these facts? I'm just reading the Bible. And it said that after Ahab's death, this was King Joram's father, who has a noted uh, uh, reputation. When his dad, Ahab, died, the king of Moab rebelled against his son and the king of Israel. So King Joram, 
he promptly mustered all of his army of the king of, of, of army of Israel, and he marched from the capital Samaria. And while he was on his way, he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And he said, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? The king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, agreed. And as I understand, it's probably a good idea since Judah was subject to or a vassal of this great dynasty at that time called Israel. And the Bible says that Jehoshaphat asked Joram a question. What route will we take? And Joram said, we're going to attack from the wilderness of Edom. Now, when he said that, I want you to understand that he chose the long route to Moab. He went through the southern route that went through Edom. The most direct route, you see, was firmly in the hands of the Moabite rebels. Now, I want you to understand that because the path that I'm referring to plays a large role in understanding the miracle that I read to you from the outset. Now, as they journeyed, the king of Edom and his troops joined with them, finishing out the alliance. They were vassals uh, under Judah. Let me tell you, sin is just a mess. And so all of these three armies, Israel, Judah, and Edom, they traveled, are you listening? Along the roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. And there was no water for their men, and there was no water for their animals. Have you ever felt like you were taking the long way around the world? Have you ever felt in life or in this moment, it seems like it just is getting really long in my journey. But you have to understand that the difficulties of a long and winding route had actually been a part of God's plan for this alliance. And I'm going to tell you that sometimes we go through the wilderness and seems like we could even be going in circles. But God has a plan for his children. Amen. But the key when you're in your roundabout, and oh, I just thought of a roundabout that just vexes me. In the last five years, they have put roundabouts all over this city. And I never know if I'm supposed to yield or go. I don't know if I, and sometimes if I'm confused, I just circle it. They just frustrate me. Can I get a witness on that right now? I'm scared to go because I don't know who's got the right way. I just put blinkers on every time I go around, round, 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 round. <laughs> Are you getting a picture? But when you're in that moment, you know what you need to do? You need to ask questions. I'm not saying, why God? I'm saying God. In fact, the king of Israel, he asked the question, what should we do? Now, I give it that he didn't ask it in the best frame of mind, but here's the point. When you ask what shall we do, 
the prophet Elisha shows up. When you ask, what shall we do? God's voice will speak up in your life if you ask it with a desire to know. Oh, that's good. I wish I was out there listening to that. And here's what the prophet said. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. They were in this valley. And he said, you're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain. Yet the valley that you are in shall be filled with water. So that your cattle and your animals and that you and your troops can drink of that. I'm talking a miracle that a valley could fill up with water without any wind or without any rain, God said through the man of God, it's going to happen in this valley. And he said, furthermore, he said, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He said, this is not hard. Can I tell somebody, no matter what kind of valley you're in right now, it's a simple thing for God to provide for you in the valley. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I read in my Bible, he is the lily of the valley. But not only will he provide for you, Elisha didn't stop there. He said, I will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. He said, I'm not going to just provide for you in the valley. I'm going to deliver you in the valley. <coughs> Praise God. But your faith has got to be expressed in action. Anybody the Lord ever give you a word but you didn't do anything about it? Well, I don't guess you were going to say, yes, praise the Lord, me. <laughs> Just kind of dawned on me why it was so quiet. <laughs> but if we're real, you'd probably said that in your community group on Thursday night. That sometimes the Lord gives us a word in the valley that I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to deliver. And it's debated whether these digging of the ditches was literal or metaphoric. But here's what I know. Faith is always expressed in action. You still got to attack the fortified city. You still got to cut down every good tree. You still got to stop up the spring of water. You still got to make ruin every good piece of land with the stones. I'm telling you, God has given you provision and an answer and a voice in your valley. You just got to get up and make provision and faith and obedience and get ready for what God is about to do. I feel the Lord has given you and this church and the hour that we're living in some strategies. He's given us a voice. He's given us direction. Rise up. Rise up and let's take new territory of what God has given. What God did was he used an ordinary need for an extraordinary purpose. Now that might have just flown by you in terms of application, but anybody got needs in this house? There we go. God can take our ordinary needs 
and use it for his extraordinary purpose. You know what? They had to. These kings had to give water to their troops and animals to survive. That's just ordinary. But here's what is extraordinary according to God's purpose. The same water that was going to nourish them and meet their need was going to tempt the Moabites to make a very poor military decision. I'm going to tell you, instead of bemoaning your needs, give them to God and then let him answer your needs and then fill an extraordinary, eternal, divine purpose. You say, well, I've got cancer in my body. That's a need. But do you believe God can answer that need and heal you and say, I'm going to use it for my purpose and for my glory? Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, verse 20 says, now it happened. Now, when I read that, I stopped right there. I underlined it. Because when God speaks, there you have it. It happens. It may not be when you think it should happen, but I'm going to tell you, when God speaks to you in your valley, you need to have faith and understand it will happen. It happened in the morning that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Not only does God's voice let it happen, I love that other word that says suddenly, hallelujah. It doesn't take God long. I wish we'd put away our timepieces and our calculators and say, but look, I'm 56 years old, I miss my train. I'm telling you, God can do suddenly things and suddenly, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. My God can do things in his time and it can happen suddenly, quickly. Everything we pray, God can do it suddenly. He can give the harvest and the revival we've been praying for suddenly. Quit figuring it out with your own human rationale. He said, I'm gonna meet your need in the valley. I'm gonna deliver you in the valley. I'm gonna do it. It will happen suddenly. Somebody ought to put some faith to that word. Somebody ought to put a shout to that word. I love this. It says it happened in the morning. Now when you look at verse 21, the Bible says, when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, they stood at the border, and you gotta check this out, verse 22. And then they rose up early when? In the morning. Hallelujah. It's happening in the morning. And the enemy gets up in the morning as well. And what God had provided for God's people, it was doing something else on the other side. Hallelujah, I might just preach here this morning. Are you hearing me? Early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they punched their buddy and said, this 
is blood. The kings have surely drawn swords and killed one another. This is our chance. We're going to get together, Moab. Get together, hell. This is our chance to come against the people of God. They thought the alliance of these kings had a fallen out. They thought they had slaughtered one another. And let me tell you, that wasn't an unrealistic possibility. This was a crazy group that wasn't pleasing God. But instead of approaching this, these, these people and these kings with weapons drawn for battle, they ran out there without a sword, as it were, to plunder what they thought were dead soldiers and steal their weapons. But you know what they come into? They ran up against a waiting rank of God's army ready to do battle against the enemy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Are you getting it? Hell may be smiling at some things that are going on and the unrest and all the stuff that's going on, but I'm telling you, he's getting ready to meet the blood. Are you hearing me? All of this happened because they thought they saw blood. Somebody shout blood. Woo! That miraculously red-blooded appearance of the God-provided water. It was a miracle that foreshadowed the cross of Calvary. Because the blood-colored waters, it looked like a victory to Moab, the enemy. But what looked like a victory to Moab was actually their defeat. Hallelujah. What they thought was the destruction of Israel was actually the salvation of Israel. When Satan and all his human agents saw the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They got encouraged. They thought they had him. But all along, they didn't understand. It was God's plan to bring salvation to all of humanity like it brought to Israel through Moab. I'm telling you, that's what happened to Moab and Israel. And that's what happened when Jesus said, it is finished. They thought they had him dead. They thought they had him in a grave, but it was really salvation for all mankind. I'm saying the blood saved me. The blood saved you. The blood saved all that believed in him. Thank God for his blood. Thank God for his blood. His blood saved you. His blood changed you. His blood delivered you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now when we say the blood, the blood of Christ, I want you to understand this. It signifies his total redemptive work. It includes his death, oh yes. But it also includes his resurrection. Because without the death 
I mean, without the resurrection, the death wouldn't be any in effect. Paul, he told us one time in Romans 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he said in verse 24, he said, we've been justified freely. We've been declared righteous. Listen to this. By his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. He freed us from the penalty of our sins. But I love verse 25 that says, God presented himself a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Somebody shout blood. God's grace is the source of our justification. But Christ's blood is the ground of justification. In other words, his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection is the basis in which we can be declared righteous. I'm telling you that his grace brought me in as if I'd never sinned, but it could have never happened had not the blood be the grounds and the basis for us to have access into this grace wherein we stand. You better thank God for the blood. You better thank God that he came to this earth to die a sinless lamb for a sinful world. We've been singing, oh, the blood. Think cleansing blood. I did hear this, precious blood. I don't know that we always think blood is precious in terms of reminding us of tragedy or crisis. And, you know, we've got medical people in the world here. Sometimes when blood is coming out everywhere, it scares us and they may say, oh, it's not as serious as it looks, but it's serious to us. There's blood everywhere. But Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, he called this blood precious. He said, you know that it was not with perishable or corruptible things like silver and gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life. It didn't come from what you could purchase. He said, no, no, verse 19. But it was with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. That word precious, it means valuable. It means costly. It means to honor it or to esteem it. You see, life is in the blood. If you lose your blood, you lose your life. That's not, again, a pleasant thing to our natural thinking. But what do we do? We honor anyone that loses their blood and life for a cause that is greater than his or her self. And Jesus' blood is precious, it's valuable, it's esteemed, it's honored because it was his life that was redeemed for our life. You know, if Moab or any evil powers of Jesus' day, if they'd known God's plan, they'd have stayed away from the blood. Come on, rewind. You think Moab, Moabite army, if they knew that was just water, they're going to run in their death. They say, I'm going to stay away from that stuff. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age knew 
For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers, the princes, the experts of the day, like the chief priest and the and Pilate and Herod Antipas, all of them, they had no clue about the wisdom of God. They didn't have any idea what his eternal plan was because if they had known, they would not have killed the master of the God-designed life on a cross. Paul said, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I gotta stop there. Who was crucified? That's the answer. Who was crucified? Jesus is the Lord of glory. Jesus is God. He is manifested in flesh. Jesus may have been on a cross. That was a symbol of shame and death. But Paul said, I want you to contrast that with his majesty. He is the Lord of glory. He may be humiliated in flesh, but he's exalted as the eternal God that fills all the earth. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Jesus hung and died, but the Lord of glory rose to live forevermore and set us free. The blood saved us. Hallelujah. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament can be seen as a type of Christ. And we get a biblical principle from his story in Genesis 50. When Joseph, in verse 20, looked at his brothers and he said, I know you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Why? In order to bring about it as it is this day, to save many people alive. Do you get it? What evil had designed to destroy the promised seed that was in Joseph and all the patriarchs. He said, that's just God's design to get you here and save the seed of promise. He said, it's all coming together in this day right now. I'm telling you, when Jesus said it is finished, oh, they didn't understand or they would have left it and they wouldn't have touched it. But when he said it is finished, it was a part of God's eternal plan. And what Satan meant for evil, God said, it's gonna be turned around for the good of all humanity. I'm telling you, the blood saved us. Satan, you can come against us with all that you got, but the blood will save us now like it saved us on the cross 2,000 years ago and the resurrection three days after. Oh, why don't you clap your hands in Jesus? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, the blood saved me. I love it. In Exodus 12, verse 13, on that first Passover, to where Paul said later, Christ is our Passover lamb, he said, the blood on the doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you're staying. 
And when I see the blood, it's going to save you. I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. You better believe, you, you, you get up here and look at me. There is a plague of death that is coming on this world. We are in the midst of the end times. The last days began in Acts 2 when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. But I'm telling you, there is a plague coming of death into this world. God's vengeance will be poured out, but you've got a choice here today. You don't have to be a part of that plague of death if you'll let the blood save you. We said it already. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. And so now the full work of justification comes when you by faith repent of your sins, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, and are filled with the Holy Spirit, born again of the water and the Spirit. And I love what Paul said in Romans 8 too. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's the joy and the reality of being delivered from the plague of death. Hallelujah. Praise God. When Jesus was on this earth, recorded in John 2, he said in verse 19, he said, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was standing in a physical temple in John chapter two, verse 19. And when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up, the Jews in the next verse, verse 20 said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days? But John clarified, he was speaking of the temple of his body. I love it. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to him. And they believed the scripture and the word which the Lord had said. I'd like to pull out from that verse his disciples, what? They did what? They remembered. Hey, you couldn't get much more relevant and fresh of remembering the death of Jesus just three days after he resurrected. And it said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I remember. And you know what today's all about? Maybe 2,000 years later is remembering. 
as we partake of this communion, let's recall the temple of his body being destroyed. But oh, don't stop there. Let us also remember that he rose from the dead, making that shed blood effectual. Oh, no, 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 don't stop there. Let us remember that this risen one is coming back again. I'm telling you, it's the blood that saved us. Oh, precious is that blood. I wonder if we could lift our hands to the Lord right now. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. And would you somehow, in remembrance, somehow you would say, Lord, I'm remembering what you did for me. <clears throat> I am Lord Jesus, remembering. And as off as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes. I want you to know that his blood still flows. Oh, his blood is not some miraculous, it's not some change of thinking on the enemy's part, but to the believer, that blood is precious. That blood is beautiful. That blood is cleansing. Praise God. Praise God.